Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. everybody another edition how about this a game week edition of college football betting with Aaron Torres I am your host Aaron Torres hope everybody's doing well hope everybody is ready for a two episode week of college football betting with Aaron Torres cannot wait to get this thing rolling this year and cannot wait to get going this week with as I just said two episodes to come between now and Friday Today's episode, we will focus on the Pac-12. So we have done our conference and division previews for the SEC East and the SEC West, the Big Ten East and the Big Ten West, the Big 12. Today, the focus is the Pac-12, where I have two bets off the top that I absolutely love, and really two bets that are maybe not quite the ones that maybe you're thinking of. So we're going to get to those. We'll get to some of the marquee teams that I don't hit on off the top. You know how we're doing these conference previews by now, so make sure uh, you're locked in. The Pac-12 is really, really, really fascinating. Later this week, we'll do a second episode on Thursday. Not totally sure what direction I'm going to go with. I will talk a little bit about week zero, but I'll be real. I, I, I don't love anything on the board. One thing we never do is force bets on you, never try to make you take something that you're not, that I wouldn't take myself. And so you know how I feel about Nebraska. You know how I feel about some of these other, you know, a group of five schools with a lot of moving parts. Probably we'll keep it pretty light in terms of betting for this weekend, but we'll still talk about some of the games, give you some advice, and then of course, uh, probably just preview some of my 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 big term my big time futures bets for the season, and then next week it's go time. Next Wednesday, we will preview the week one slate. Oh, my goodness gracious. Georgia, Oregon, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Cincinnati, Arkansas, Florida, Utah. We got a loaded week one slate I cannot wait to share with you. A couple quick announcements before we get to today's Pac-12 preview. One, if you were part of that gift card challenge, the gift cards have shipped. Of course, for people who don't know what I'm talking about, uh, all of our early episodes, I basically laid out the gauntlet for listeners of this show. I said anybody who subscribes to our YouTube channel, first 50 people get a free $25 Buffalo Wild Wings gift card just for signing up, just for subscribing to the YouTube channel. Well, we have surpassed 50 uh, viewers. I appreciate your support, 50 subscribers. Those gift cards have been sent. Hopefully, they'll be there for week zero. If they're not in by week one, let me know, but you should have them by like the end of this week, early next week. Uh, but other than that, that's really it. Make sure you're subscribed to this show. Make sure you're subscribed to the YouTube channel. Really would go a long way uh, in helping me out, helping grow this show. So go ahead and hit that YouTube channel, College Football Betting with Aaron Torres. And if you want to leave a rating and review on Apple, go ahead to do so. But with that said, let's get into the Pac-12 slate. And as I said, I think when you look at over-unders in this league, this is a fascinating league because there isn't that clear-cut team at the top, right? There isn't the Alabama or Georgia. There isn't the Clemson in the ACC. There isn't the Ohio State in the Big Ten. But when I look at the best over-under win totals in the Pac-12, I am not going to look at Utah or Oregon or USC. You know what my favorite over-under win total is? And a lot of you have yelled at me, Torres, all you do is hand out overs. Do you like any unders? Well, one of my favorite bets this fall is the Stanford under a four and a half. And it's funny, as I was prepping for this show and prepping my Pac-12 notes, something stood out to me about Stanford is that it was literally a decade ago, January 1st, 2013, 
That was my first year that I lived in California, and I went to the Rose Bowl where Stanford played Wisconsin, and Stanford beat Wisconsin in what I believe was about their first Rose Bowl win in over 40 years. I believe the last one they had won was in the 70s. And I remember being at that game and thinking at the time, there might not be a coach in college football with a higher approval rating than David Shaw. He's an alum. He could go to the NFL, but he wants to stay at Stanford. They just won the Rose Bowl. Keep in mind, this was 2013 before the college football playoff era when bowl games and and bowl wins really mattered. And I just remember thinking, this guy's approval rating is through the roof. Goes on to win two more Rose Bowls after that. But I think as I look ahead to the college football season, I don't think there's any doubt that Stanford is a program that is trending in the wrong direction. Five of David Shaw's first six years, they win 10-plus games. Then they win back-to-back nine-win nine seasons. Last three years, here's what they've done. Four and eight, four and two during the COVID year, and three and nine last year. I think this is a program that going forward is going to be really hurt by the transfer portal. They're one of these programs. that We talked about this a little bit with Vanderbilt a few weeks ago. They can't just go and plug holes in the portal But on the flip side, when they get a fourth, fifth-year guy that that has graduated, that has gotten that Stanford degree, they're probably going to look elsewhere to finish their careers. They lost some marquee players this offseason in that regard. So when you factor in it's a program trending in the wrong direction, when you factor in I think they're going to struggle in the transfer portal era, this is a program that I am selling my stock on if I had any left. But then I'll take it a step further. Let's just talk about this season where they were really bad last year, and I see no reason to really believe they're going to be any better. First of all, they go 3-9 and in what has to be the weirdest year that I can ever remember. 3-9 and overall. Here were two of their wins. I think they beat Idaho Week 1. But Week 2, they beat USC at USC. That's the game that got Clay Helton fired. So they get Clay Helton fired. Then they beat Oregon, which for most of the year was in the college football playoff conversation, won at Ohio State, but lost to Stanford. So at one point, Stanford is 3-2. and two. You're like, okay, this team's half decent. They lose nine straight games to end the season. And like I said, there's just not a lot of reason for excitement. The first thing that stands out to me, that offense that was so dynamic under Jim Harbaugh and for most of the David Shaw era, it's non-existent. Remember, this is a program that produced Andrew Luck, that produced Christian McCaffrey, that produced Bryce Love. They have had dude upon dude upon dude on that side of the ball. They ranked 113th in scoring last year. They ranked 111th nationally in total offense last year. Last in the Pac-12 in scoring, 11th in total offense. This is a program that for years has been defined by skill position talent but physicality along in the trenches, and they can't do anything right. To make matters worse, like I just said, first of all, maybe their most dynamic offensive skill player, Austin Jones, hit the portal. He goes to USC. Tanner McGee is back at quarterback, but he ebbed and flowed last year. Started the season really well. 11 touchdowns, no interceptions in the first five games. Gets banged up in the middle of the year. Last five games, four touchdowns, seven interceptions. Stanford goes 0-5. So there's a direct correlation with him struggling and the team struggling. And again, I just don't see any reason to think that offense is going to be much better, especially, again, the offensive line, which used to be a strength. Remember how physical and tough and mean that the Stanford Cardinal were up front? They just aren't that team anymore. And the crazy thing is, as bad as they were on offense, and keep in mind, keep in mind, I just said 111th nationally in total offense, 113th nationally in total defense. They were 127th nationally in rush defense in the, in, the, in the country, 12th in the Pac-12. Again, this used to be a team that was defined by their physicality. There was no team in the Pac-12 and only three teams worse than them in college football in rush defense. Where are their guys? And then they lost their two best defensive linemen to graduation and Gabe Reed, a star linebacker, to the portal to Utah. And so you look at a team that right now, I don't want to say they have no identity on offense or defense. Their identity is they're soft and they're not very good. You look at that team, and to make matters worse, coming off a 3-9 and nine year where you got bullied on both sides of the ball, they got a brutal, brutal schedule this year. Here is their schedule. Out of conference games. They open with Colgate. Sure hope you can win that one. They do play USC at home week two. We'll get to that in a second. But in the out of conference, they play at Notre Dame, 
and we listen, you could criticize whatever with Notre Dame. They're a top 25 team. I don't know if they're top 10. I don't know if they're number five, number six in the country, like the AP poll said, but they're a top 15 team. They got dudes all over the field. And then Stanford actually closes with BYU, which is a really good team. 18 starters back off last year's team. So you already have two losses in the out-of-conference that are really tough. And then on top of that, the league schedule is brutal. They have to play at Oregon. They have to play at Utah. They have to play at UCLA. Those are arguably the three best teams in the Pac-12. They have to play on the road for all three. Do get USC at home. But, you know, the Pac-12 is just, listen, man, you can say it's not the SEC, but there are some teams in the middle that can give you trouble. Oregon State can give you trouble. Arizona State, even with all the transfer portal stuff, has talent. They can give you trouble. Cal destroyed Stanford last year. And so I look at this schedule. You have BYU and Notre Dame in the out of conference. You have road games at Utah, UCLA, and Oregon. That's already five losses right there. I don't think they're beating USC in week two. That's, I mean, where are the five wins on this schedule? I don't see it. Stanford under four and a half wins. That is one of my favorite bets of the entire college football season this year. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Let's keep it going to another bet that I just totally love in this conference, and I think this one might surprise you. Not USC, not Oregon, not Utah. I like UCLA. Over eight and a half wins. And I know there's there's like this narrative that Chip Kelly's terrible and he stinks and he whatever and blah, blah, blah. So first of all, I live in L.A. UCLA does not have a t- like Like the outside perception of what UCLA should be versus what is actually given to them inside the city. And it's not an administration problem. It's a fan support problem. It's a resources problem. They, it, it's not nearly as good inside that program as people think. But they go eight and four last year. And here's why I like them. First of all, 8-4 and four last year, so obviously that'd be a one-game improvement. But a couple things stand out to me about UCLA. First of all, the offense truly was very, very, very dynamic last season for UCLA. Uh, obviously, Dorian Thompson-Robinson is a guy that is back at quarterback. But just in general, number one in the Pac-12 in scoring, 12th nationally. Number two in the Pac-12, 14th nationally in rushing and number 31 nationally in total offense, two in the Pac-12. So you had 12th in scoring, 31st in total offense, and here's the catch. They returned just about everybody on that side of the ball. Again, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, Dorian Thompson-Robinson. Okay, I did say it right. I was going to say Robbins. I I don't know. Anyway, DTR. He's back year five as a starter. And listen, we know who he is at this point. He's not, you know, Joe Montana. He's not great in the pocket, but he makes plays. Uh, He makes plays with his feet and his arm, and he's really good. On top of him, you have Zach Charbonnet back, 1,100 yards rushing, 13 touchdowns. How about this? Seven different 100-plus yard rushing games for that guy. And most of the offensive line is back as well. And again, there's this weird criticism of Chip Kelly. That offense hummed last year. And so there are some questions at wide receiver. I would say if there's a weakness on this offense, it's probably at wide receiver. 
Keep in mind, they did bring in Jake Bobo, transfer from Duke, Duke's leading receiver last year. I saw some crazy quote from Chip Kelly that he talked to David Cutcliffe about this kid. And David Cutcliffe, who, of course, was the Duke coach last year, uh, f- uh, former Ole Miss coach, offensive coordinator at Tennessee, said that of all the players he's ever been around, Jake Bobo and Peyton Manning were the two hardest workers that he's ever been around. I, I, I never thought I'd hear the name Jake Bobo, who you know most people probably don't even know, with Peyton Manning in the same sentence, but that was what was said by David Cutcliffe. Like I said, the offensive line should return mostly intact. So you're talking about a, a scenario where the highest scoring offense in the Pac-12, number two run game, you bring back virtually everybody, that is a team that is going to put up a lot of points this year. Beyond that, I think the defense is going to be improved. And the defense probably isn't quite as bad as you remember. Now, they were especially bad last year against the pass, 107th nationally. But overall, they weren't terrible. Middle of the pack, Pac-12, that's not great, but it wasn't terrible either. But here's why I'm intrigued by them. They brought in a ton of talent in the portal. A ton of talent. Grayson Allen, or Grayson Allen, Grayson Allen. Okay, here, let me start that one over. They brought in a pair of transfers from North Texas. Grayson Murphy and Gabriel Murphy. Grayson Murphy, 14 and a half TFLs, eight and a half sacks. Gabriel Murphy, 12 and a half TFLs, seven sacks. I understand it's a level up competition. You bring in two edge rushers that combine for 26 and a half sacks. Go ahead and sign, or 12, 26 and a half TFLs, 15 and a half sacks. Go ahead and sign me up for that. Also got an All-Mountain West linebacker from Hawaii, an All-Conference DB from Wyoming. Again, it's a step up in competition, but would you rather have a a high four-star, low five-star guy that's new in college football or a four- or five-year guy that might have a little bit more physical limitations but has four or five years of college football experience? I'm not saying you definitively take that guy, but if you're UCLA and you're not recruiting five-stars anyway – Those are the kind of guys that you need to upgrade that defense. Finally, with UCLA and why I love their schedule, I'll tell you, you know, it is about as easy as it gets. And UCLA historically has scheduled very tough. This year ain't that year. I live in LA, like I said, and there's a lot of people that are complaining about the early part of the home schedule. UCLA's out of conference games now. Bowling Green, South Alabama, and Alabama State at home. Good luck selling those uh, single-game tickets if you're UCLA, but it sets you up to go 3-0. Then in conference, listen, I, I don't think it's, it's a cakewalk. I think some of these teams in the Pac-12 are probably better than people give them credit for. It sets up about as nicely as it possibly can for UCLA. Uh, they play Utah and USC at home, maybe the two best teams in the conference. They do get Oregon on the road, but that is off of a bye. How about this for a fact? Four, five of their first six games are at home. So before October 22nd, think about how late October 22nd is in the college football season. October 22nd, before that, they play one road game that is at Colorado, which is probably maybe the worst team in the Pac-12. And then overall, they play only four road games total, eight home games this season, and the toughest road game by far, Oregon, comes off of a bye. And so listen, I'm not sitting here saying this is a college football playoff team. I'm not sitting here saying that they're even going to win the Pac-12. But I think the over of 8.5 feels really good. I love the Stanford under. I love the UCLA over. All right, one more team before the break. Uh, (laughs) And it is, you know, maybe the most fascinating team, not only in the Pac-12, but I think in all of college football. And that's UCLA's crosstown rival, the USC Trojans. And, and listen, like you don't really need me to tell you everything that has happened at USC this offseason, but I do think it is important on a show like this, if you've, made, if you've heard me make this speech, forgive me. First of all, I should mention UCLA's, or USC's, excuse me, over-under win t- total set for nine and a half. And to understand what you're getting into is on the one hand, you're getting a team that finished four and eight last year. And on the other hand, you're getting a team that has maybe done more of an off-season makeover via the transfer portal than any team in college football history. Not surprising. This was the first year of the one-time transfer. But let me just give you again a quick rundown of what USC did in the portal this off-season. Obviously, we know Caleb Williams, and I think, you know, if you're listening to the show, you know that Lincoln Riley is the head coach. I'm one for, I, I, for one, am very excited. But Caleb Williams comes in at quarterback. 
But here is who else came in for USC via the portal, and I'm just going to name kind of the starting front-end guys. One, at running back, probably the top two running backs on the roster are both transfers. Travis Dye from Oregon, Austin Jones from Stanford. The top four wide receivers, probably all transfers. Jordan Addison from Pitt, Bolitnikov winner. Mario Williams, former top 50 recruit who started his career at Oregon. You also have Terrell Bynum from Washington, second leading wide receiver. Brendan Rice, second leading wide receiver from Colorado. Starting left tackle, Bobby Haskins from Virginia. On the defensive side of the ball, maybe the two best linebackers on your roster. Eric Gentry, transfer from Arizona State. Former uh, All-Pac-12 freshman team member. And then also on top of that, Shane Lee, who started multiple games at Bama. Oh, and in the secondary, by the way, you also have Latrell McCutcheon, transfer from Oklahoma. Makai, Makai Blackman, excuse me, transfer from Colorado. And it's worth mentioning, they didn't sign a big freshman class, but most of those guys will probably contribute this year. Uh, Damani Jackson, number one corner in, in high school football, is a freshman at USC. Relique Brown, one of the top running backs in high school football, a freshman at USC. And so when you look at this team, on the one hand, yes, they went 4-8. and eight. On the other hand, yes, they did upgrade the roster exponentially. But you are still talking about, realistically, probably 50-plus new players on that roster. And on top of that, not only 50-plus new players, but probably 16, 17 guys of the starting 22, 11 on offense, 11 on defense, that were not there. That is a lot to ask for. And so why I don't love USC one way or the other, again, their over-under is 9.5, is a couple things. One, are they just good enough in the trenches? And this is cliche, and you've heard every college football person that you listen to say this, but I think it's totally fair. To win at the highest level, not just to beat Alabama or compete with Alabama and Ohio State in the college football playoff race, to beat Oregon, to beat Utah, to beat some of these teams in the Pac-12, to beat UCLA, which again had an elite rushing attack last year. you got to be good in the trenches, and I just don't know if USC is there yet. Keep in mind, by the way, Lincoln Riley... Everyone thinks of all the quarterbacks that he's gotten that are Heisman finalists. But a lot of what Lincoln Riley does is predicated on the run. As a matter of fact, a big part of the problem last year at Oklahoma was that it was their worst rushing attack under Lincoln Riley. And that was what led to Spencer Rattler's struggles because they relied on him more as opposed to just allowing him, you know, using the run to set up the pass. Go ahead and look it up. Worst rushing attack that Oklahoma has had since Lincoln Riley got there. And so you look at the bodies that they have up front. You look at, by the way, attrition. Keep in mind, if you're bringing in all these players from the transfer portal, it means that they're better than the guys you got. And so the question now becomes, this ain't Bama, this ain't Ohio State, this ain't these programs that we talk about. You have one or two weird injuries, it could potentially set you back, and you might not have a, a, a Pac-12 caliber player behind them ready to go. And so those are my concerns about U, U, USC, specifically on the defensive side of the ball, where they're going up against a lot of teams that like to beat you up at the line of scrimmage. Again, I know we make fun of the Pac-12. Utah is one of the most physical teams in college football. Oregon is one of the most physical teams in college football. USC doesn't play them this year. But UCLA, I just mentioned, elite rushing attack. They'll beat you up up front. Ask LSU last year. Notre Dame, physical up front. Even Stanford, I just told you how bad Stanford is. But they, they're going to at least try to beat you up up front. Now, whether they do or not is another story. But those are the teams that USC is going to have to beat. And so when I look at that and I look at a schedule that includes a road trip to UCLA, a road trip to Utah, which is obviously the biggest game maybe in the conference this year, a road trip to, again, Stanford. And I know I just told you that Stanford stinks, but Stanford has given USC problems in the past. Stanford beat USC pretty bad at the Coliseum last year. They have a pretty good track record against them. And there's just some weird games in the Pac-12 that are not going to be easy. USC has to go up to Oregon State, a place that they've historically not been great at. Last year, they lost to Oregon State. They have to play Arizona State, which at least has talent. And again, you close with USC or UCLA on the road and Notre Dame at home. To me, this feels like probably more of a 9-3, 8-4 type team than 10-2, 11-1. It's a stay away. But if I had to lean one way, I would probably go with the under on the USC over-under win total of 9.5. That's what I want to do. Take a quick break. Want to come back? And when I do come back, I want to hit on the rest of the league. Utah is fascinating. Oregon is fascinating. And then we'll wrap with some of the other schools that we have not talked about yet. 
Going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Uh, let's rip through the rest of the Pac-12. For those of you uh, kind of looking to plan the back half accordingly, uh, I think we'll kind of do pseudo deep dives on Utah and Oregon. Both those teams are very interesting. From there, I'll probably do what I did with the Big 12 a few weeks ago, just kind of rip through the rest of the teams. I don't know that you all want or need nine minutes on Oregon State or Washington State or Cal. Certainly, if you want it, you can always DM me at Aaron underscore Torres, but we'll try to be quick with the remainder of these teams that we have not discussed yet. Let's start with the Utah Utes, though, because you talk about a dark horse playoff contender that I don't think is a dark horse anymore. Like I see a lot of people that really like Utah coming into this season and really like so many other teams. It really starts with last year, right? Strange start to the season. Charlie Brewer, who was a transfer at the time, is named the starting quarterback. Team starts 1-2. and two. He gets benched. He immediately hits the portal. And Utah takes off. Worth noting a couple things. One, usually not good when the team takes off when you hit the portal. Two, to his credit, he bounced back, was named the starting quarterback at Liberty on Monday. Hugh Freeze's ball club over there. But when you look at Utah, once the Charlie Brewer thing was done, once Cam Rising came in, it was a completely different team. They win nine of their final 11. Uh, set What would that be? Eight of their final nine regular season games. They destroy Oregon in the in the end of the regular season. They destroy Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game. And I think it's worth noting, they lose the Rose Bowl, but they went toe-for-toe toe with, with Ohio State. And I think like, like we're talking about Ohio State as just being the best offense in college football this year. Utah went toe-for-toe, score-for-score, play-for-play with them. And here's the crazy part. They bring back most of those guys this year. One, it does start with Cam Rising, quarterback, 20 touchdowns. But really, it's about the, the offensive line and the run attack, right? I just talked about it with the USC segment of this show, but credit Utah. They know who they are. They know what they're about. They know what they do well, and they know what their identity is. They beat the crap out of you at the line of scrimmage. Well, Tavion Thomas is back, guy that finished the year with 21 rushing touchdowns. I mean, you talk about just just a monster uh, a monster season, over 1,100 yards rushing for him. Uh, he was as big of a difference maker as there was for for the Utah Utes. Tavion Thomas, 21 touchdowns, 1,100 yards rushing, 5.5 yards per carry. Much of the offensive line is back. Four of the top five receivers are back. So again, that offense that went toe-for-toe -toe with Ohio State, and we all love Ohio State coming into this year, that offense now basically brings back everybody. Where it gets interesting for me, though, is on the defensive side of the football. Because when I look at this team, it's a team that I, I really wasn't expecting to like. Because Utah, look, what, what Kyle Whittingham has done there is incredible. And so this is going to sound like uh, you know it's insulting to him and it's not intended to be. But they're not the type of program that is just supposed to be able to replace star power and difference makers. And they had maybe the best defensive player in school history last year, Devin Lloyd, first-round pick of the Jacksonville Jaguars. How about this? 110 tackles for that kid, 22 TFLs, which was the second-most tackles for loss in college football behind only Will Anderson. I mean, that's not a guy you're supposed to replace, and I'm not saying that Utah will be able to replace him. But you don't think of Utah as a school that hits the portal hard? Well, they brought in this offseason – 
Muhammad Diabite, second leading tackler at Florida last year, obviously played for the Gators. Dan Mullen gets fired. He decides to look at another option. And then Gabe Reed, 10 TFL, 62 tackles last year at Stanford. So two guys that are kind of in the mix. They hit the portal. They say, hey, I could be a star. I can be a difference maker for a potential playoff team. They decide to go. And then some of the other nice pieces around him on the defensive line are in place as well. In the defensive backfield, a couple guys come back as well. And so a defense that you look at that defense last year, uh, top 20 in rush defense, top 30 in total defense, they return a lot of pieces, and I think they have a chance to be pretty good. Now, where I get a little concerned about Utah, again, the over-under is nine. Where I do get a little concerned is pretty straightforward. One, what if the defense takes half a step back? But then two, more importantly, the schedule is, is pretty tough, and it's tough early. So we're going to find out right away what Utah is and if they're legit. I think everybody knows they open at Florida in week one. Now, I'm a little lower on the Gators than most. Uh, Billy Napier, no disrespect, I think he's the right guy for that job. I just think that's a really, really tough ask for Utah, uh, for Florida to, to, to beat a team as talented as Utah that can score as effortlessly as Utah. But I, what people don't know is a couple things. One, week three they play San Diego State. Not an easy game, should win. But you look at the schedule overall for the Utah Utes, and one thing that stands out, most of their toughest games are early. They play at UCLA October 8th, and you know what I think of UCLA, and then they play at USC October 15th. I would add the two teams outside of them that they play early in the Pac-12 season, Oregon State's interesting. They can score. Oregon State beat Utah last year, it's worth noting. And Arizona State, we're going to talk about them. They lost a ton in the portal, but they can get up for a game or two here or there. As we've seen in the past, they basically knocked Oregon out of the playoff in 2019. They're one of those weird teams. They can get up for a big game, and they have plenty of talent under Herm Edwards, who, yes, is still the head coach. And so I look at Utah's schedule. If they can get through that first, what is it, six-game gauntlet, back half is much more manageable. Arizona at home, Stanford at home, at Wazoo, at Colorado, maybe the worst team in the Pac-12, at Oregon. So you think about what I just told you. Three of their four toughest games are in the first six weeks before October 15th at Florida, at UCLA, USC, at Oregon in the second to last week of the regular season, and three of the top four, three of the top four toughest games on the schedule are on the road. So I get the love for Utah. I would lean over this 10 win, uh, nine win threshold to go 10 and two. I got to think about this a little bit more. I'm not totally sure that I'm bought in on them as a playoff contender. Let's keep it going with the other more, more interesting team in the Pac-12 outside of Utah, outside of USC. That is the Oregon Ducks. I mean, just, just a fascinating team where you just look at, again, what happened last year. Beat Ohio State in Week 2 at the Shoe. Everybody's getting them hyped up. Are they a potential playoff team? Are they a potential national championship type team? Especially, remember, last year, Ohio State. Who else? Uh, Oklahoma, Clemson all struggled out of the gate. We were looking for who's going to make that playoff. We thought Oregon was that team. Well, falls apart late, as I just said. Lose to Utah at the late in the regular season. Lose to Utah in the Pac-12 championship game. Mario Cristobal bounces. They get smoked in the Alamo Bowl with like 40-some-odd players. But when I think about Oregon, there is one thing that does kind of come to mind to me about this team and this program. When Mario Cristobal left... There's a famous story about him in the locker room telling the guys that he's taking the Miami job. And what he told those guys was pretty straightforward. He said, I don't want all you guys running to the portal. Don't follow me to Miami. Now, I think they might have taken a player or two from Oregon. But what he said was, we have a national championship caliber team in this locker room right now. And I don't want you guys all leaving. Stick together. Believe in the next head coach. And you guys have a chance to do something special. And that's what stands out to me about that Oregon thing is there is a talented group of guys in that locker room. Now, we all know what it's going to come down to because the talent is there at running back where Byron Cardwell's back, really like him. Averaged almost seven yards per carry last year. Bunch of wide receivers that are really talented. Tony Franklin, former top 50 recruit. What it comes down to with Oregon is who their new starting quarterback is. And in case you've forgotten, oh my goodness. Their starting quarterback coming into the year is Bo freaking Nix. That is right, the Auburn transfer. 
And it's just hard for me to get excited about Oregon. By the way, over-under is eight and a half wins. It's hard for me to get excited about Oregon because I've seen who Bo Nix is for the last three years. And what also stands out to me is you would think that Bo Nix, yeah, first couple years under Malzahn, whatever, COVID, development, blah, 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 this and that. But what stands out to me about Bo Nix, last year he had the coach who's kind of the disciplinarian. Last year he had the coach who tried to take the ball out of his hands, and it still didn't work with Brian Harson. He still got benched for TJ Finley. Or excuse me, he got hurt, but you get the point. It still didn't work with Brian Harson. And so I get the whole idea of starting over, but last year was the year that he was supposed to kind of figure things out with the new head coach, and it just didn't happen. And that's what worries me about this team in this season. Now offensively, all the talent's there. All five starters back on the offensive line. The defense might be one of the best in college football. They really might be one of the best in college football. Obviously, Noah Sewell is a, a future first-round pick at linebacker. Justin Flo, former five-star. You look at the defensive backfield. They have a kid named Christian Gonzalez transfer from Colorado who people are talking about as a potential first-round pick. I'm not an NFL scouting guru, but that sounds pretty good to me. Uh, Dante Manning, former top 50 player in the defensive backfield. So the defense is there. The offense is there except for Bo Nix. But what concerns me is exactly what we're talking about. One is the schedule. You open versus Georgia and Georgia. That's a that's a uh, uh, you know that that's a death wish right there. Um, and then I, I do think it's worth noting later on early in the schedule. It doesn't get easier. They play BYU at home. We just talked about BYU a second ago with Stanford. BYU is a good team this year. They play them in week three. On top of that, you do play UCLA and Utah. Of course, you get those games at home. But those are probably the two best teams in my mind in the Pac-12. You have no USC, which is good. But I look at this team, and it's it's just hard for me with the schedule where you have one game that it's just it's really hard to see beating Georgia and Georgia. I think BYU is better than people realize. Utah's awesome. UCLA's awesome. So that has me nervous already. And then two, it's Bo Nix. I mean, I, I, I'm not trying to criticize the kid. We know who he is at this point. How can I support a team that has Bo Nix as its starting quarterback and feel good about it? So I'm going to stay away from Oregon. Over-under is 8.5. They're right on that 8-4, and 9-3 and three line. I just I, I don't feel great about it. I would probably lean under. I'd probably go 8-4 and four because of Bo Nix. I wish they had anyone else at quarterback, uh, but that is, my, uh, that is my stance on Oregon. As I said really quick, let's rip through the rest of the teams in the Pac-12. Uh, I don't think you need 13 minutes on Arizona State and uh, Cal, so we'll be quick here. Uh, Arizona, weirdly interesting team. So they go 1-11 last year. Their over-under is three. And you think, who cares? It's Arizona. Well, they're kind of an interesting team. Do you know who had, according to Rivals.com, the number one recruiting class in the Pac-12 last year? Wasn't Oregon or USC. It was Arizona. Now, they had the number three class, according to 24-7 Sports, behind Oregon and Stanford. But they had a top 25 class nationally. They brought in Jaden Delora, really talented quarterback who was the Pac-12 Offensive Freshman of the Year last year at Washington, 23 touchdowns. They get a five-star wide receiver, ironically was just committed to Oregon, decided to reopen his recruitment when Mario Cristobal left. Speedy Luke, high four-star running back, kind of skill. he's kind of a scat back guy, he's not really a running back, wide receiver, running back, whatever. And so you look at this team, they're really interesting. Like Arizona has a chance to, I think, be a 4-5 win team. The problem is, is that when you're rebuilding a roster as bad as the one that Jed Fish inherited, um, you can get wide receivers and running backs. It's hard to find the guys in the trenches that you need to win, even at a, a solid level, let alone at the highest levels, even in the Pac-12. So I worry about the, the offensive line. I worry about a defense that wasn't good. And then you talk about a crazy schedule for the Arizona Wildcats. How about this for Arizona? There are three out-of-conference games. Are you ready for this? It doesn't sound terrible on paper until I explain it to you. They open at San Diego State. Why is that a big deal? One, San Diego State's always pretty good. You know they got dudes. Braxton uh, Buxmeyer from, uh, from Virginia Tech is probably going to be the starting quarterback there. But San Diego State is opening a new stadium this year. They've been playing at Qualcomm, the old uh, San Diego uh, Chargers, and I guess it was for a while the Padres Stadium too. They're opening a new stadium this year. So that's who they're playing in their stadium opener is Arizona. You know they're going to get a good crowd there. Then week two, Arizona comes home. They play Mississippi State, late night kickoff West Coast. 
Mississippi State, by the way, the next the next game is their Pac-12 uh, SEC opener against LSU, so that's going to be a quick turnaround for Mississippi State. And then week three, they host North Dakota State. North Dakota State's the best team in the FCS by a country mile and probably better than a lot of teams in the FBS. Those are your out-of-conference games at San Diego State when they're opening a stadium, Mississippi State at home, North Dakota State, and then it's the normal gauntlet in the Pac-12, Oregon, USC late in the year, Utah, UCLA on the road. I think they're better than three wins. I just don't know where those wins definitively are on the schedule. They went 1-11 last year, played well down the stretch. Can't get excited about them. Arizona State, I'll tell you this. You talk about just an interesting team. Arizona State over-under is 6.5 wins. And what's interesting about Arizona State, one, is the fact that how does Herm Edwards still have a job? Their their over-under is actually six wins. I apologize, not 6.5. How does Herm Edwards still have a job? This is the program that got caught before Tennessee made it trendy to have kids on campus during the COVID shutdown period, during the COVID dead period, Arizona State got busted doing it. Basically, their entire coaching staff has moved on, including Antonio Pierce, their star ace recruiter. And most of their their key personnel has moved on. Jaden Daniels, their starting quarterback, transferred to LSU. Ricky Pearsall, their leading wide receiver, transferred to Florida. Uh, also on top of that, on top of that, uh, most of their best defensive players, Eric Gentry, linebacker to, to USC, defensive lineman to Louisville. I mean, you go on and on down the list, they lost a lot. Now, they didn't lose everybody, and there are still some intriguing pieces coming back. Uh, and it is worth noting, they kind of got pretty aggressive in the portal in their own right, adding Emory Jones at quarterback. Emory Jones, by the way, not nearly as bad as you remember him at Florida. Now, he took a lot of bullets because the team wasn't very good. But Emory Jones in the pack, in the SEC last year, here were his stats. 65% completion, 2,700 yards, 19 touchdown passes. And then rushing-wise, uh, you know, had uh, I think seven, uh, six or seven other touchdowns as well. And so I bring it up to say, you do that in the SEC, it's one thing. You do it in the Pac-12, that's not terrible. And I think he has a chance to be pretty good there. So I look at Arizona State, I just can't get excited about them for a few reasons. One, I said it a minute ago, they can get really high for those big games but they also play down to their competition sometimes when they're playing inferior competition. The other thing is, you know, the Herm Edwards thing is a ticking time bomb. I don't know if it's going to be this year. I don't know if it's going to be during the offseason, whatever. But if they start slowly, if they start one and two, two and three, three and three, does the team, which lost most of its best players during the offseason, do they quit on him? Total stay away to me. Let's keep it going. Oregon State over under six and a half. You know, they're a really trendy team right now coming off their first bowl game, uh, first bowl game appearance in uh, since 2014. And really, you know, I give them credit, have really identified kind of a, a way that works for them. They don't really throw the ball a lot, but they were number 19 nationally in rush yardage, 212 yards per game. They put up 31 points per game. Now, where I get tripped up is a few things. Is one, the over-under six and a half. Two, they weren't great on defense, especially against the pass, 11th in the Pac-12, but they were 73rd nationally and 9th in the Pac-12 in total defense. So one, the defense is only okay. Two, whoever put together their, their out-of-conference schedule should be fired as well. Here is their, their out-of-conference schedule. Keep in mind, they haven't won a season opener since 2015. They open against Boise at home. Boise's always good. If you're a fringe team trying to get to six wins in a bowl game for a second straight year, that's not who you want to play. Then they go to Fresno State. Fresno State was awesome last year. Now they obviously, uh, you know, they beat UCLA at UCLA. That was right after UCLA beat LSU. Jake Hayner is awesome. 4,000 yards passing, 33 touchdowns, nine interceptions. But you look at that whole situation, they did have a coaching change. Kalen DeBoer went to Washington. We'll discuss him in a minute. But I look at that whole situation. I say, Fresno's really good. They're tough. And then, oh, by the way, in week three, you get a little ho-hum SEC uh, or uh, FCS opponent, excuse me, when Montana State comes to town, the runner-up in the FCS playoffs last year. So two Mountain West teams that can beat you, one on the road, and then on top of that, Montana State, uh, the FCS runner-up. That is terrifying to me. And again, that's on top of the normal Pac-12 schedule. That is on top of the fact that you obviously have, uh, when you're talking about Oregon State early in the year, you do have USC at home. You do have Utah on the road. 
You do have late in the year Oregon at home. And so, I mean, I don't think it's unrealistic. Their first two Pac-12 games are USC and Utah. I don't think it's unrealistic they start 0-5. Now, I think they'll probably start like 2-3. and I don't think 3-2 and is in play, though. I think 2-3 and is kind of a best-case scenario for Oregon State in the Ottawa Conference. But you could start 0-5. And then you got to find set. You got to go seven and zero from there to hit the over. Total stay away to me. Uh, kind of in the same vein. Total stay away. Both Washington and Washington State. Washington Washington's over under weirdly high at seven and a half. Now Kalen DeBoer really like him as a head coach. Had great success at Fresno State. They don't know who their quarterback is though. Sam Heward uh, was the former five star guy. Never really clicked under Jimmy Lake. Jimmy Lake was of course fired mid season last year. Brock Heward's nephew, uh, Damon Heward's son. Also on top of that, uh, the, the, you know they, they do have Michael Penix, the transfer from Indiana, who was awesome. Remember the year that Indiana was awesome two years ago during COVID? That was who their starting quarterback was. He gets hurt late in that year, gets hurt last year, doesn't look good. He transfers to Washington. I don't know who their quarterback is, and now you want me to pick them to win eight games? The under feels super obvious to me with Washington. Keep in mind, an intriguing game for Washington. Uh, early in the season, they will host Michigan State early in the season. Let's keep it going. Washington State, I'll say this, interesting team. And I do think, unlike some of these other teams I've mentioned, manageable schedule. They do play at Wisconsin in Week 2, but they get Idaho at home and Colorado State at home. Should be two wins. Um, and then a lot of their swing games are at home, Cal, Washington, teams like that. Uh, in the Apple Cup, obviously the last one, they get Oregon at home, they get Utah at home. I don't think they're going to beat either one. Where my concern comes in, they were pretty good defensively too. Where my concern comes in, if you if you remember, Nick Rolovich was the head coach. We know why he was fired, refused to get the COVID shot. I don't really care about that. But the interim coach came in, had a ton of success, and was named the head coach for that team in the middle of last season. Jake Dickert came in, was pretty, and the thing with Jake Dickert was pretty good, wasn't great, three and two down the stretch, but they named him the head coach. So one, I'm never too high on the interim head coach that, that rallies the troops late and gets the head coaching job. Two, their, their, their quarterback is Cameron Ward, the transfer from Incarnate Word, over 4,000 yards passing, actually closer to 4,700 yards passing. It's a step up from FCS to, to, to the FBS level. Washington State's just one. I, I can't get excited. Their over-under is five and a half. I'd probably lean over there. I just can't get excited about a team with the interim head coach who rallied the troops and got the head coaching job. I worry about them. Really quickly, Colorado, over-under is three. I'll just be blunt. This was the worst offense in, in the Pac-12 last year. One of the worst defenses. They lost a ton of talent out of the portal. I just told you, two starters to USC. Second-best wide receiver, Brendan Rice. Best cornerback, Makai Blackman, lost their best running back, Jarek Broussard, to Michigan State. Lost uh, their best cornerback, Christian Gonzalez, as I just said. Some people believe he's a first-round type talent to Oregon. This is just a program. You know, I started the show talking Stanford. I don't know if Stanford can compete in the transfer portal era. I don't know if Colorado can compete in the NIL era. You know, I'll be quick on this, but I will tell you a quick story to keep an eye on with them. I was hosting Fox Sports Radio about two months ago. Chad Brown, who played at Colorado, joined us, who played on their national championship winning team in the early 90s, hosts radio in Denver. I asked him point blank, I said, so what does Colorado do, got to do to get back to the top of college football? He said point blank. I couldn't believe he said this. He goes, I don't know if they can in the NIL world. He goes, we just don't have the boosters that are going to pay insane amounts of money for unproven commodities, whether it's through the high school ranks or the transfer portal. And so I'm not accusing anyone of anything. But you lose guys to USC, you lose guys to Oregon, you lose schools to places that are better funded. Michigan State, obviously we know why Mel Tucker left. Now he brings the best running back with him. I just sit there and say, this team was really bad last year. I don't see any reason for them to be better. The incredible stat I found with Colorado, they played 11 games against FBS opponents last year. Eight of them, they scored 20 or fewer points. Finally, Cal, listen, it's Cal. I mean, Cal Berkeley fans, if you're fired up and you want me to do more, I'll do a special episode just for you if I get 10 responses to this. But I sit there and say, look, 5-7 and seven last year, I believe in Justin Wilcox. 
yet another program, weird variables in that county. Obviously, there, you know, the COVID restrictions have been about as tough in the county where Cal Berkeley is as anywhere. Um, you know, they even last year, remember, they had that game against USC pushed back because of contact tracing and positives and all that. And it, we're like, what are we doing here? Like, so, you know, weird year. They go five and seven. If you look at the schedule, they did finish strong. They won four of their final six. They lost five games by a touchdown or less. And I think that's a byproduct of they just practiced less than most teams, played less than most teams. So you look at Cal, you look at the situation there. Um, you know, I, I don't love them, but a manageable first two games before they go to Notre Dame in week three. And then it just comes down to can they catch the breaks along the way? Cal's over-under win total is five and a half. And believe it or not, no strong opinions on the Cal Golden Bears. I think that's it for this episode of College Football Betting with Aaron Torres. Thank you guys for listening again. By the way, my two favorite bets, the Stanford under of four and a half, the UCLA over of eight and a half. If you're not subscribed to College Football Betting, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, Please subscribe to the YouTube channel. Really will help me grow this show and what we do. Would appreciate any support you can give me there. Finally, um, just be ready. Thursday we'll do a little kind of hybrid week zero preview to go along with uh, you know to go along with some other stuff. Maybe a couple ACC teams. I don't think I'll go through the entire ACC, but maybe hit on those top couple teams: Miami, Clemson, whatever. Um, and that's really it. That's really it. It's go time, people. It's game week, people. Week zero is here. Week one will be here before we know it. Again, subscribe. Go ahead, give me a rating and review on Apple. That really would help me. And then finally, uh, make sure to, 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 to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Enjoy the week, everybody. It is game week. This is College Football Betting with Aaron Torres. something that's not boring a laundry oh a book club computer solitaire huh ah oh, sorry we were looking for chumba casino that's right chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.